What is happening, everyone? Welcome to episode 113 of your favorite podcast, The Gordite Podcast. Today, I have a really, really exciting topic for you. We are talking about unfucking certain bodybuilding beliefs that we just kind of blindly accept um, and follow. And some of them, I think they're really weird. So inside, I think you're going to learn a lot. I think this might be super duper eye opening for you guys, which as always is the goal of this podcast. As always brought to you by your favorite sponsors, Revive Supplements and Raw Supplements. Please use code Mahaley at checkout to support the pod. And please scroll down, leave us five stars. I would greatly appreciate it. We got to get 400 before Christmas. I'll see you inside. We guys absolutely loved episode 112. Goodness. That was fantastic. Yeah. Um, biggest uh, one day total downloads in Grower Dive podcast history. Biggest everything. Big, biggest everything. Yeah. Uh, biggest podcast launch day. Yep. Um, everything. All the, all the data points are the highest they've ever been. Yeah. Every single data point, which is dope. Um, and, you know, honestly, what, what did we just talk about? Like in 108, I was like, you guys are like blowing this thing up. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Making it really cool. And I don't know, man, it's wild to see. It's just wild to see. You know what else I've been noticing recently? Um, and I know that, that the you know data kind of shows this as well, is there's a lot of people who are kind of just coming around to the pod. Oh. And they're on like six, yeah. 14, yep. and like yep. some 30s and stuff. I know. I've seen a lot of 30s and 40s. Yeah. But like what's yeah. cool, like... You know, I, I I try to message everyone back that I see on Instagram. Just mm-hmm. like, I hope you enjoy it. Like, if you have ideas, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, and all these people are like, I've like listened to every like episode to this point. Like, mm-hmm. I have a ton to like, um, I have a ton to like go on. I didn't realize the extreme compounding effect that was going to come with the podcast. Yeah. Like, I felt I kind of felt like our OG listeners were like, that's this kind of like we would have some people here and there, and yeah. like our OGs, that's who we're kind of riding with. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's really cool. And I think we have a really, um, I, 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 th- I think it's a really cool topic uh, that we have here today. Um, I'm going to talk about uh, just some shit that we accept in the bodybuilding world. I think, I, I think we're going to title it like unfucking bodybuilding beliefs. Okay. Um, that's a okay. dope name. I like it's it. Dope fucking name. I'm, I'm gonna click on that. Yeah, and listen. To that fucking we have, as you, if you haven't noticed, we haven't thought of a title <laughs> yeah. yet. Yeah. All so that the title shit will be thought right yeah. now. All that shit happens at the end. <laughs> uh, so there's what um, inspired this podcast. So man, it's interesting to me. You know, um, a majority of the clients coming on board right now are pretty high level folks, um, really high level national contenders or, um, you know, some IFBB pros that are coming on who have been around and competed on the circuit and, you know, worked with some big name coaches and stuff. And, you know, um, I dive into these protocols mm-hmm. and I look at, so what's worked for you? Um, if, if you're a season, if you've nailed it before, what did you do to nail it? Mm-hmm. Um, like I want to, I, I, this is the only way I can learn. I don't yeah. want to learn on the yeah. fly. I want to learn with the data that we have. Right. That's like ideal. What I have a fu- yeah. question and I don't, yeah. I don't know how to answer this without offending anybody, Yeah, but why would, why does a top level competitor yeah. who has Olympia capabilities yeah. change coaches? Uh, because they don't think the coach can, if you're, if, if you have Olympia capabilities, you're knocking on the door. Yeah. But you want to, you want to knock the door down. Yeah. Like you want to get to the other side and like blow up the whole fucking house. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of, um, that's kind of the idea mm-hmm. here. Um, and so 
that's kind of why these people switch. It's, it's a change in mentality. Mm-hmm. It's a change in scenery. Um, and you know, I haven't put on anyone on the Olympia stage yet, but I sure. think people look at me and they're like, yeah, that guy's mentality is bonks. Sure. And that's absolutely the same. But also a, a big, <clears throat> uh, you know, big thing that I get very common is your attention to details nuts. And, mm-hmm. you know, I take great pride in that, um, because elite level contest preparation takes extreme attention to details like that biofeedback post that I made. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. biofeedback post, you know how many people saw that and got so angry? How many coaches saw that and got so angry? Yeah. Cause they don't do that. Mm. They don't take sleep into account. Well, okay. you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. If, if you don't know about your client's sleep habits, if you don't know about your client's stress mitigation mm-hmm. habits, if you don't know about your client's digested, their poop. Well, even yesterday's, habits, uh, even Wednesday's podcast yeah. with you and Matt and Matt was even talking about those kinds of factors. hundred percent. Like all these things are massive. Yeah. Like your client's blood glucose. That's huge. Yeah. yeah. What do you mean? You don't know your client's blood glucose. Yeah. Matt was even talking about like, do you sweat? Yeah. Those, yeah that yeah. kind of shit. The, 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 do you sweat? Um, um, how, uh, soon to eating a meal or you stooling mm-hmm. um, like things like, dude, these are really important. Yeah. Um, and so the, the attention to detail, I feel like that's kind of what takes people over the top. Right. And it's been interesting to me to see that a lot of these protocols are like pretty standard across the board, right? Mm-hmm. Like the top of bodybuilding Prepping, I'm, I'm talking like bodybuilding. I'm not talking like people who only do bikini or specialize in bikini. Okay. The top of bodybuilding prepping is, you know, quite a few people in their late 30s, early 40s, mid 40s, um, you know, who all kind of came up around the same principles and the same stuff. Right. Okay. And by the time research and, you know, science started coming out and actually being understood, they already had a formula that worked for them. So they just kind of stuck with it mm-hmm. and they didn't really dive into developing new anything. Really. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people look around at, um, you know, younger coaches like Matt, like myself and like, all right, this is refreshing because there's things happening here that I've never experienced before. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're collecting data and you're doing mm-hmm. things with this data and this, this, the extreme amount of data that you take in, Um, that's what kind of builds the road and a lot of roads are being built before there's even, you know, a car to drive on them. Mm -hmm. It's, I really hate the term cookie cutter because like to an extent, to an extent, isn't everything cookie cutter Yeah. to an extent when I have a client hire me and they want a training program, how much different can it really be? I've made 2000. Yeah. I've probably made another one exactly have, like the training program you're about to get. Yeah. If you have a and, dude who's six foot, 220,000 yeah. and has the same goals, like it's yeah. logical to go, well, this yeah. one probably fits and then we'll find out later if it did or not. And, and like my cycle beliefs, so yeah. I utilize PEDs. Like, yeah, there's probably going to be multiple people on my roster on a very similar cycle. It's the sure. same fucking time. Right. Yeah. Um, now, you know, insulin growth hormone, that's kind of where it varies. So like, I hate the term cookie cutters. People think that that's like, you know, a multitude of the same protocols. But I mean, I have over 150. 50 people on my fucking on, on my roster mm-hmm. like some of them somewhere their food's going to overlap some of them mm-hmm. somewhere the training's probably going to look really goddamn similar yeah um so i i don't want to use that term but it's kind of a one size fits all approach sure is that i'm seeing a lot of yeah and there's not really any specificity mm-hmm. and there's not really any reverse engineering from the goal down to where that person is right now happening mm-hmm. it's just you know train hard eat this inject this and that's kind of 
all this it's, happening. It's like a, a doctor. It is. A doctor, a surgeon. Yeah. A surgeon has a cookie cutter plan. Yeah. The book says, start here, yeah. do this, do this, do this. And yeah. you do that. And then when he gets inside, he's like, oh shit, this is way different. Yeah, this is so vastly let's, different. So let's, let's manipulate this yeah. and, and pivot. Exactly. Whereas a, the guy who followed the book would go, well, fuck it. This looks, yeah. I, don't, I don't care. This is what I'm book. supposed to do. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So like, there's not a lot of room for pivoting. Now, I'm also not fucking saying I'm the best bodybuilding coach in the world. Sure. I'm not saying that I haven't completely figured out because I mean, every three or four months, I feel like there's things that change about me. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, they, these are just some things that it's like, man, we've just kind of learned to accept these because it's almost like they've been passed down from our elders. Like it's our fucking name. Right. Um, so number one, this whole short Esther is close to a show. So what does that mean? So close to a show, oftentimes you'll see bodybuilders switch to more frequent injections and those more frequent injections will have, will, will, will be utilizing, um, anabolics that just have shorter esters, which means, um, essentially shorter saturation times, shorter dissolve time, um, for the, uh, the solution to, you know, be utilized in the body. Right. Um, we have a belief and it's, it's, it's a correct belief, but it's, we need to go deeper in the belief. We have a belief that, you know, longer esters, um, you know, take more water to break down because they take longer to break down. So it forces your body to hold on to water and stuff like that. And, and we, we have this massive fear of like, of just like saying, we just say water. Mm-hmm. Like, what's that mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know how we were talking to Matt on Tuesday before Wednesday's drop. Um, and I said the word systems. I was like, I hate using that word, but like, that's just what was applicable for the time. Mm-hmm. Like water, like why, what do you, what do you mean? It takes more water, brain sound. Why, why does that matter? Yeah. And why does it matter? Because you know what I see very often is you'll see someone, you know, seven, eight weeks out looking really good. Like, man, that's going to be tough to beat. Um, and then, you know, they show up on game day looking, you know, not as good as where the linear approach you would expect them to look. Right. And it might not be due to missing a peak. There's going to be some factors that we talk about in this podcast that might be due to, but I think a big item here is, well, seven, eight weeks out, you haven't, you probably haven't switched all the short esters yet. Right. Usually happens around that three, four or five week mark. You switch to short esters. Um, but they looked full, they looked hard, they looked grainy, and they were utilizing long esters at that point. If you go in, you switch someone to short esters. When they do not need to switch to short esters, we're just choosing more pinning. More pinning equals more stress. Matt and I just talked about this in the in the fat burning podcast. Yeah. More injections, more frequent injections equals more kidney stress. If your kidneys are more stressed, all your other organs, every single one interacts with your kidneys, is going to be a little more stressed out. Your systemic inflammation is going to increase and you're going to have a look that you're not going to like maybe flat, maybe, you know, just whatever X, Y, Z. Now you sit there and be like, well, that's not just from the short esters. You're right. It's not just from the short esters, but why would we add a stressor to the body that the body told us it didn't need at five weeks out? It looked perfectly fine without having short esters. So why Mm. don't we just keep long esters in? Mm. Why would we switch it? Why would why would we choose more frequent injections? Because that's what bodybuilding coaches have done, you know, since the 70s, the 80s. Why would we choose more frequent injections, which is more stressful in the body over something that's just clearly right in front of our eyes working? Right. So now we have to overcompensate for this elsewhere. Now you're putting your kidneys into more stress. And guess what happens when your kidneys are more stress? It's a lot harder to fucking peak. It's a lot harder to peak because all the electrolytes 
the water, sodium, the potassium, everything filtrates through kidneys. And if your kidneys are struggling with handling the load and what you're asking of, and then you add in diuretics, which we're going to talk about. You add in diuretics and your kidneys like, dude, fuck, this sucks. Like I'm getting all these mixed signals. I'm not real sure what to do. And then you just, you know, you, you don't look good. Mm -hmm. A million things can happen from there. Mm -hmm. So short Esther is close to a show. Um, you know, what I would say to this is trust your eye. And, and I kind of got that um, line from Matt. Trust what you're seeing. If you have this road laid out and, you know, this road's going to take you to the end destination and, you know, whatever, but something pops up in the road where we need to pivot around it. Well, we can't just keep going through that thing. We, we have to pivot. We mm -hmm. have to, we have to trust what our eyes are seeing. There's something in the road that's forcing us to make a change. Um, so we need to make a change mm -hmm. and we need to make a change to your plan because the physique's telling you that it's perfectly fine. Um, I think that this, uh, attributes to much, much, much more than what it gets credit, uh, than, than the lack of credit that it gets for fucking things up. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a much bigger deal than people make it out to be. Yeah, I really do. Does a, does a long Esther have a potential negative effect on the stage? Yeah. If someone's utilizing long esters and it actually is making them retain water, yeah. um, then yeah, there's going to be something there. Okay. Um, you know, but again, I still like long esters because you know, what if it is making you retain water? Why is that really a bad thing? If you're really good at peaking somebody, mm -hmm. why is that really a bad thing? Because we can utilize that water to our advantage mm -hmm. to make the, make the physique look fuller. We can do maybe a more drastic water cut. Um, you know, there's, Items around that um, that it can attribute to now is any of that set in stone? Is any of that concrete? No, mm -hmm. absolutely not. You got to trust your eye. You got to see what the fuck's right in front of you. Mm -hmm. You got to see what's posing in front of you and how is it looking. If this is like a, yeah. I'm trying to see if I remember shit from yep. you now. Yep. If the person, if you're using a long ester and you yep. see more water, but they feel more full, and they're on stage and you think, okay, well, they're getting ready to go on stage and you think, fuck, we have a lot of water. Yeah. Would you just throw a lot of sodium and potassium into it to help? Um, is that wrong? <sighs> It would just sodium. depend. It would just pretend if, if, if they were about to go on stage, let's say they're 20 minutes out yeah. and they pose for me, they look pretty watery, uh -huh. but you can see really good detail still in the actual muscle. It's, we probably, it's probably a sodium thing. Yeah. So we can fix it with some sodium. Okay. If they're posing for me and the physique looks and they have the water on there, but the way the muscles like pushing against the, the water, the subcutaneous water and the skin is a little bit faded it's likely a potassium issue that's what sure. that's the term muddy yep, like i was yep, explaining yep. the term muddy to you yep um usually the muddy look is is can be fixed by potassium um not potassium solely potassium and sodium in a certain ratio based on what you're seeing right here you know it could be a three to one could be two to one could be 1.5 to one could be five to one um but i to, to be honest what's really interesting to me to see when i look back on peaking people this year is at the end of the prep more often than not somehow some way the sodium and potassium always every single time finished relatively in a one-to-one -one ratio mm. we had vastly different routes to get there through vastly different mechanisms mm -hmm. we used to get there but somehow, some way, they ended up pretty damn close to one to one. Yeah. To me, that's selling because I have a lot of data points. Sure. I have a lot of really well peaked athletes this sure. year that I get to pull a lot from. And they ended up a one to one. And, you know, more often than not, or around one to one. Mm -hmm. um, so I find that really interesting. So it's kind of right. 
Yeah. It, I mean, yeah. obviously there's a bunch of other variables in yeah. there, but if you look watery, then adding that sodium in there helps a lot. Yeah, 100%. But also, you know, what I think I can do with that one-to-one is if I'm seeing someone, they just look a little bit off, they don't look right, and I pull up their data chart, and I realize, oh, you know, this is interesting. They've actually had a gram less sodium than they have potassium today, so... I know that one-to-one worked really well for me last year. Mm-hmm. Like in 48 fucking instances, this worked really well for me this past year. Yeah. Well, let's try it. Yeah. Let's go one-to-one. Mm-hmm. I bet it, it won't make it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, it has strong affinity to make it better. Sure. Um, and, and so, you know, at that point, um, you know, it's trusting your eyes and trusting the data that's literally been presented to you on a silver yeah. fucking platter. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I, not to get off on a tangent about peaking because sure, man, sure. I can go up. We can change this whole podcast. I wanted, I just forever. wanted to see if my yeah. learning and that was, absorbing that, was, that was beautiful. going the right direction. See, that was really good. It feels good. Huh? Right. You fucking right. learning. You, Scott, you said, you said that water and I was like, Hmm, wonder what yeah. you would do if you were getting ready to go on Scott's stage. about to be a bodybuilding coach. Right. Dude, fuck we yeah. talked about it yesterday. What yeah, did we say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I probably shouldn't say it on air when I said yesterday. <laughs> um, so next up, insulin is only for large bodybuilders or it's only when you're pushing growth. This is not true. And insulin is also, I would not categorize it at all as a storage hormone. It's a nutrient partitioning hormone, vastly, vastly different things. Why is it that so insulin is naturally occurring in the body. The mm-hmm. pancreas releases a ton of it every single day. I talked about this in a few podcasts ago about giving your pancreas a break. That's why we use insulin. That's why huge bodybuilders who have a shit ton of protein to take in every day bunch of carbohydrates, you know, usually a moderate amount of fat. Um, why would they not utilize insulin to just help their pancreas out? Why would athletes who are pushing food really high in the off season, why would they not utilize insulin to help their pancreas out? Mm-hmm. Remember your, your, your pancreas is very, it's very, very fucking important to, to you. And we talked about it before, but you know, whenever you kind of, um, Whenever you see someone go from really, really, really high food and then they enter into a cut, nothing really happens. It's likely because our pancreas just wasn't ready for it. It's used. You set it up into a homeostatic environment. I see a lot of prep coaches fuck this up. You set it up into a homeostatic environment, having a complete bolus of food. Just because you can put food there does not mean you should go there. Mm. I will stand by till the day that I die that there's not a single bikini girl on this planet that needs 600 grams of carbohydrates mm-hmm. or more a day. Mm-hmm. And I see a ton of people, a ton of people I respect, you know, a ton of people I'm friends with who, who do that. And they have their methods and they have their beliefs and they can back it up. So that's okay for them to do it. This is the hill I'm dying on. Mm -hmm. No one needs that. I mean, my, 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 my bodybuilders don't even utilize that. Like Mm -hmm. I, I, right. Just right now I have two massive men eating over 600 grams of carbs. We don't need that. Mm -hmm. Um, You do not have enough muscle glycogen in your body. You do not have enough lean body mass Mm -hmm. to need that much fucking glycogen. There's a better way to do this. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and also like, just like, I already made a comment just cause you can't put it there. Doesn't mean you should put it there. Yeah. Just cause the body says it could handle more. Doesn't mean it's necessarily going to need more. Mm-hmm. And the more you put in, you know, there, there's negative feedbacks to everything. Mm-hmm. There's negative, positive feedback loops to everything that happens in the body. And a negative feedback loop here is all right. A pancreas gets used to that. You're taxing it. You're asking so much out of it when, you know, you don't have a bunch of lean body mass to shuttle this to. Um, So there's, you know, a few ways that we can handle this. But the one way we do know we can handle is we're just going to release a bolus of insulin all day. 
And this is going to drive your BG down. And you also, just because it's releasing a bolus of insulin all day, does not mean that your fasted insulin in the morning is going to be high. Mm -hmm. Um, All these things can be in check. It's about what are you driving? Are you driving too hard? Like, are you, are, are, are you driving too hard? And it's very, very easy to know if it's a yes or a no, you don't even need blood work or like guesswork, mm-hmm. um, in order to make that happen. It's based off the individual. So are you driving too hard? If so, then your pancreas is being overworked. If your pancreas is being overworked. That becomes its new homeostatic set point. If your pancreas is just in a completely overworked homeostatic set point, it's also going to operate and make you slight. It could give you like slight hyperthyroidism for a temporary time. Um, and again, hyperthyroidism comes down to ratios not overall values um this could all happen all this can be driven and then what happens we get into a cut phase and nothing happens is that why people say that too long too long of a high calorie macro diet Mm -hmm. can affect your thyroid in a negative way when you go to cut yeah it can it it 100 can because you know everything it's it's all tied together yeah like the gut takes in so much well the entire um digestive tract so it starts in your mouth you know down your esophagus into into your gut small intestines large intestines it's all communicating with everything else so it hits your gut and well actually well first the food hits um uh it's your mouth your digestive enzymes in your mouth. And that's mm-hmm. when signaling begins mm-hmm. for the pancreas to, Hey, we're going to need some insulin here pretty soon. You know, this mm-hmm. is going to be broken out. We're going to need to shuttle it somewhere. And so then, you know, the thyroid gets rung up. Hey, you know, there's food coming in. So let's make sure that we have places to mobilize and utilize it. And then the musculoskeletal system comes in like, Oh, I have room over here. I have room over here. I have room over here. And it all just works together in one way. So why wouldn't you want to have insulin running through the body all the time? So you don't want to, have insulin running through the body um the entire time because then your pancreas that like that's that's essentially that's now the other drive, direction yeah you can i mean you can drive yourself into diabetes that way okay um it, it, but you could have too low blood glucose you get mm. too high of fasted insulin you get a and from that you can have brain fog you can have a lot of fat accrual mm. um because you're so how nutrient partitioning works is you're your gut decides that it needs X amount of insulin to shuttle X amount of amino acids that it broke down or the small intestine. You're going to pick it up from the small intestine, it broke down all these amino acids, it broke down this glycogen, it broke down these, uh, these, uh, free fatty acids. All right. Uh, glucose, not glycogen. So insulin comes around, it's going to you know, transport these items where they need to go. Um, along with salt, along with sodium, uh, potassium, it all works together. The entire pump matrix works together. So it's going to take these things where they need to go, right? And really good nutrient partitioning takes what is needed and puts it into the places that say, Hey, I have room over here. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the majority of what's left gets passed through as waste. Mm. But your body's a really, really, really efficient machine and the body's only male and female. The body's goal is to survive and thrive. So, oh, you know what? I have some extra insulin just flowing around here and there's some more nutrients down in the small intestine ready to be delivered that I can go grab. So let's go ahead and let's just mobilize those nutrients as well uh, to places where they can go. So, all right, you know, we pick up these nutrients. Well, our glycogen stores are full. Our amino acid stores are full. We drop off, um, you know, a little bit of fat into intramuscular fat stores. Um, and then we we keep circulating the rest. We don't really have anywhere for it to go. Well, guess what? We have an abundance of adipose cells can be formed anywhere mm-hmm. at any time. See, all macronutrients are just carbon um uh, mo- uh, carbon molecular chains put together. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, glycogen is um four. 
And triglyceride is 22, maybe 19, 22. There's also variances. In the like, I fucking the, know the answer the, to that. The triglycerides can be like, I think it's like anywhere from a 19 to like 26. And okay. it can be like anywhere in that. So it okay. can be 20, it can be 24, it can be. Got it. They're all carbon yeah. mo- molecular uh, chains, right? Yep, yep. So, all right, you know, I got some amino acids. So I did you glucose? Were you just saying that the excess insulin after yep. is full can increase the potential for adipose? Absolutely. Heavily, therefore, making heavily. you risk getting fatter. Yeah, yeah, just storing body fat. Yeah, you take in, the protein in odd places, and and yeah, and and you take the commonly where alpha okay. two receptor is going to be the highest. Yeah. That's yeah. where the most adipose sites that wherever alpha two receptors are is kind of where the greatest chance of new adipose sites being formed are. Yeah, yeah. So it takes all these carbon atoms and kind of puts them all together. Your body can form it into a free flowing fatty acid, which that's what gets stored in an adipocyte as a triglyceride. Mm-hmm. Well, that happens. And you can drive that through. You can drive that to happen during a cutting phase by just simply pushing someone's food too high. Mm-hmm. And then they stall out. When they stall out, all that insulin is still being released. Yeah. You drove you have it, too much you drove in, insulin pancreas. naturally. Yeah. And so now that's exactly what happens. Is this why exactly. insulin timing is important around like training? Yeah. Yeah. So how we utilize. I feel like everything's yeah. clicking right now. I don't amazing? know what's going on. Isn't that amazing? I like it. <laughs> and how, how we utilize insulin is, and that's exactly what we're talking about right here. How we utilize insulin is, well, I really only use fast acting. Yeah. Um, I, man, I don't have a single client on long acting right now. It's very rare for me to utilize long acting. I, I more so utilize long acting when someone's having um, like, serious uh, peaks and valleys mm. throughout their day in terms of their blood glucose. Um, or if we get insulogenic, uh, you know, uh, tested insulogenic response tested throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of when I'll use it, just kind of fix it and kind of help the body out a little bit. And I just don't have anyone on it right now. Um, fast acting insulin, we want to utilize that, you know, around the place where nutrient partitioning is going to be the most um, effective, which is a training session and the post-training. Mm-hmm. So that's why mm-hmm. most people do pre-training and post-training. Um, but if your food's really high, um, I'll implement some fast acting insulin just a little bit. Um, let's say like, like for dinner, um, dinner, what's dinner? Body meal five, body <laughs> have dinner. meal four. Literally, yeah. So <laughs> let, let, let's say meal four, you know, it's like seven 45 PM at night, right? Yeah. And in this meal, um, you know, the foods you're going to have combined for 90 pro, um, 130 carb and, you know, like 15 or 20 fat, right? It's a pretty good sized meal Mm -hmm. right there. Mm -hmm. Um, I can give your pancreas a massive break if I utilize X amount of insulin. I I can't give you a number because I don't, you know, I don't have postprandial sure. um, insulin levels. Um, that's what it all depends off of. Well, let's say your postprandial insulin is 140. Let's just fucking throw out okay. 140. Right. Is that high? Right, is so, it higher? Nah, it's fine. Okay. It's all right. It's all right. Um, it's, it's not good. It's not bad. It's I it's closer to bad than it's good. It's bad. mediocre. We're okay. It's mediocre. Perfect. Um, so let's say that your postprandial readings right around there and we decide that you need, you respond really well to about seven IUs of insulin, um, of, of Humalog. And that seven IUs takes your postprandial reading down to maybe a hundred. Right. So we've decided seven IUs is a good part, uh, a good place for you. So, we take that seven I use insulin and then we start eating our meal, um, you know, about 10, 15 minutes after that. 
And so the insulin's absorbed. It's ready. It's ready to do its thing inside the body. Um, and you're taking in that meal and your pancreas like, oh, fuck, dude, this is lit. Like mm. the digestive enzymes in your body are signaling to the pancreas or to the gut, gut signaling to the pancreas. And Banger's like, nah, you're good. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how, but there's some exogenous insulin that came in here somehow. And it reads the exact same code that we read. So we don't really need to release that much. It doesn't care and that it wasn't produced on its own. It, it just says, shit. look more insulin. Yeah. So let's do what we do. But we want to underdose that yeah. a little bit, right? Like yeah. around that time, we want to underdose it mm-hmm. um, so that your pancreas is going to have to fill in that gap. But your pancreas is going to be very keen to not over um, overshooting, yeah. overdriving itself yeah. because it knows that you have insulin inside your body right now. That's ready. It did not come from me, but it's there and it looks just like me. Mm-hmm. So we're going to let that clear everything up here first. And if you need any more, let me know. Well, we don't want to we, we want we. We, I mean to undershoot the dosage of that insulin timing mm-hmm. because we still want the pancreas to be efficient somehow, some way. But more importantly is I don't want you to go fucking hypo when you're eating a meal with 130 goddamn carbs in it. Yeah. 90 protein, 130 carb, 20 fat. You shouldn't fucking go hypo after that. Like we yeah. have issues if you do. Yeah. Right. Um, and now we have to make up and overeat elsewhere to kind of bring that BG back up. So I really hope this isn't going over people's head because I'm in pretty deep right now. But I think like, this sounds is good shit. I'll say it sounds it makes yeah. sense to me. Yeah. This I don't is do good this shit. shit. <laughs> good. All right. If it makes sense to you, then it's good. It's good with me. Um. So that like that's essentially the method of utilizing insulin like throughout the day. Dude, a bikini girl can utilize it. It's a yeah. pancreas break. Now, am I advocating here? So, oh wait, my can, god, yeah. Hold go on, ahead. wait. So the whole the whole point here is yeah. to to give the pancreas a break. Yeah, and that's really and, intelligent to do. And why again? And remind me why we're giving the pancreas a break? It's a lot of stress in the body. It's a homeostatic set point of the that's pancreas. What it is. Okay. So the pancreas is going to just like everything else is going to upregulate or downregulate based on your needs. So if you if you fast, yeah, right for thirty six hours, yep. Well, you're going to have circulating insulin. You always have to have circulating insulin because your body never knows when you are going to be ready to fight a saber toothed tiger. Like that's how it's programmed. Mm-hmm. It's not pro. It doesn't. Lifting weights is not in your body's so, programming anymore because we fought saber to tiger, tigers for thousands of years where we've lifted weights for fucking 30. So, our, so we produce insulin from the pancreas on yeah. like a cycle. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Um, but food induces I, it mainly. I would say like a continuous cycle. There's some like release because like like it's healthy for it to be released. There's always there's always nutrients in the body. There's always nutrients in the bloodstream. Yeah. Like, Obviously food does it. Yeah. Right. But you're saying on a yeah. fasted state, there's still some that are certain. Yeah. There's still going to be some. Yeah. Um, now we want we want what's in a fasted state. Your sleep would be greatly inhibited if your insulin's too high. Uh-huh. Um, your brain fog, your memory is going to be greatly inhibited if your insulin's too high. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know th- those are just some items to kind of look out for here. Um, but honestly, like if you're a healthy and fit individual and you're like not abusing growth hormone and what I, what I mean by abusing growth hormone is not the dosage. It's the manner of which you're utilizing mm-hmm. the dosage. Um, or I should say not respecting growth hormone, or if you're not like abusing insulin, same thing, not respecting insulin. Mm-hmm. Um, then you don't really have anything to worry about. Yeah. Um, your fasted insulin is probably taking care of itself. Now, if you have you know, substantial amount of body fat to lose, there's a chance you have a lot of fat, very high facet insulin. Yeah. Um, but you know, to fix that, we got to fight against it. We got to, we got to drop body fat. We got to change your lifestyle habits first of the stress of the food, of the food choices of, um, you know, all that stuff. But a lot of your reasoning behind adding the insulin was from the bodybuilding perspective. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I wouldn't use, I mean, I, 
I've helped clients who aren't bodybuilders fix some issues with insulin before, but like, I'm not just, I would never drive their food that high. It doesn't yeah. need to be that high. Yeah. Um, and, and there's, there's just no need to really utilize it sure. there in them. Um, really anything outside. Like I didn't mean to make you go on a tangent on insulin, but I just think no, you're clicking and it making, it makes sense. I think this is really good. Like yeah. this is going to be really helpful to people because, you know, I mean, that's what we want to do here is we want to debunk some shit. Sure. Right. Um, and insulin's not just for bodybuilders. Mm-hmm. A tiny bikini girl can use insulin. Insulin. Mm-hmm. You have to do it intelligently. Coach God know what the fuck you're doing, but mm-hmm. it's going to help your pancreas take a break. When your pancreas gets a lot of breaks, it stays really, 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 I like to call it sensitive. I, I like to use the term pancreas sensitivity. Yep. Um, it, it's, it's, it's going to stay very about? sensitive. Yeah. I was Full talking about it on the, um, staff, on the call. staff call Full when I was educated about yep. it. Yeah. Um, so like, I like the pain, I like, I like the term pancreas sensitivity because that kind of lines up exactly what we need when the pancreas is desensitized because you've driven food too hard for too long. We now have to overcompensate. You notice how this is more a question to the viewers, not Scott. Scott doesn't follow that type, but you notice how the girls who have these insanely high nutrient numbers in, um, in the off season will oftentimes have to push just as hard as everyone else in prep. Mm-hmm. Well, if this didn't have anything to fucking do with it, then they they, they wouldn't have to push as hard. Mm-hmm. Like logic of physiology says this should happen. Yeah. If you can work food up that high and not put fat on, then you should be able to drop fat right here at this point, which mm-hmm. isn't as low as where other people have to go. Mm-hmm. But physiology, you know, bio individual needs of physiology, you know, change client to client, person to person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why we oftentimes see these people struggle just as much getting in shape as everyone else. So like, what's the purpose? Mm-hmm. You don't need it to build muscle. I mean, you're this is off season. Like mm-hmm. you're, you should be able to fill your muscle glycogen and you should be able to drive protein to a place that you know, you're, you're in a pretty nitrogen, uh, retentive and nitrogen positive atmosphere for you to be able to build muscle. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I don't know why it happens Hmm. to me from a physiological standpoint, which is the standpoint I come at everything. Bodybuilding is literally a physiology, physiology sport. Mm -hmm. It makes no sense to me, quite Frank, Mm -hmm. but Everyone has their methods. Everyone has their ways of going about things and everyone does the shit. And, and, you know, the people who do this, majority of them that I see, well, I don't follow fucking idiots, but they can explain their methods and Mm -hmm. they can explain their reasoning. I just don't think it's needed. Yeah. So insulin can, you know, insulin also just is not for bodybuilders. Like I said, anyone can utilize it. Anyone can benefit greatly from it. Um, as a physique athlete, if you are driving food decently high, another one fed cardio is not equal to fasted cardio whatsoever. And some people might, might not like hearing that, reality is this nature of the beast, right? In a fasted state, we're going to have lower blood glucose levels. We're going to have lower insulogenic levels. We just talked about both these things. We know why this is important. We're going to be able to utilize items like UHMB and HCO. We're going to be able to utilize acetylocarnitine. You're an enhanced athlete. You're going to be able to utilize um, your growth hormone to all of these things to mobilize free fatty acids. We're going to be able to utilize tyrosine to drive your mental uh, cognition. Well, in a fed state, we can't utilize any of those things. So all of these are going to, because they're all insulogenic responses. They all respond the same way your hembine does the food. Yeah. To to any kind of spike, they all are essentially gone. Yeah. They negate it. Yeah. 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 They're negated. Okay. Um, And so 
Fasted cardio is by far the superior form of cardio. Now, yeah, you can show me the research. You can show me the studies. I understand. I, I know all of them. I know all of them like the back of my hand. Those research and those studies aren't applicable to the bodybuilding world. We utilize different things. We push to a different level. And again, your physiology is much different. If, if you're a bodybuilder listening to this, like if you're a competitive athlete, if you compete in the NPC and the IFBB at any sort of actual competitive level, well, your body's going to function a little bit different than, you know, the normal people that they're taking in to do these studies, right? Um, facet cardio, you have much more capability of mobilizing and utilizing free fatty acids, period. Well, what the fuck are we doing cardio for? Aren't we literally doing cardio to mobilize and utilize free fatty acids? I don't know why else we'd be doing cardio other than just for cardiovascular health. In a fat loss phase, it's you know a little bit more intense than that. It's more meaningful. So fasted cardio is going to be superior to fed cardio 10 times out of 10. And actually, fucking three times on Sunday. Um, it's just better. It's better. Period. Fasted cardio gets to mobilize free fatty acids by utilizing more things. It's that simple. Now with fasted cardio, um, you know, one item here, like we talked about in the fat burning episode, um, we also we we do want to respect uh, the supplements that we are using for the fasted cardio. Make sure we get that full uh, free fatty acid mobilization effect out of it. Um, what that looks like is about 20 to 30 minutes, 15 to 30 minutes for the yo HCL and the Alcar. Um, what that looks like for the growth hormones about three hours. That's why I uh, say that you should just pin that when you go to the bathroom at night. Um, and, you know, tyrosine works pretty quickly within like 10, 12 minutes or so. Um, we would like to stay in a in as low as an insulogenic state as possible um, for about 60, 75 minutes post ingestion of these of uh, of the yohimbine and the tyrosine. OK. Something else that doesn't make a lot of sense to me is mock peaks. So it makes sense to me in terms of, well, you know, I know what this body is going to look like, right? I know what it's going to respond to, what it's going to do, how things are going to go. But the issue is you peak someone, you know, um, you peak someone a few times. Well, every single time it's different, right? No two peaks are the same. It's like what you get out of a mock peak. I don't think you get anything but a massive stress response from the body. Didn't you used to do these? Yeah, I used to do mock peaks. Yeah, about two, about yeah, 2018. I was doing mock peaks still. I remember you had referenced them the yeah. first when I started coming around. Yeah, yeah. and I would like I had I've done them in the past, and I kind of realized during one of my little years in reviews um, assessments of myself, I kind of realized oh these didn't really these did nothing for me. It made, like it, the, made it harder. Yeah, the data that I had there just doesn't it, it didn't apply. Um, it, it, it didn't apply, uh, to the next peak. Um, so like the mock peak, little bit of a weird concept to me because, you know, if you do it three weeks out, you know, two weeks out, like whatever, well, I understand that the, the body might be ready to compete, you know, on that day. So fuck, why not find a show to hop in on that day? Um, but coming out of any sort of peaking whatsoever where anything's manipulated, there's a huge stress response, mm -hmm. a massive stress response. And isn't bodybuilding literally all about stress mitigation, especially during a peak? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I would just rather have my clients rest for like four or five days rather mm -hmm. than like go through this peaking process. You rest and, you know, you show up, uh, you know, back to, um, you know, work on Sunday and, you know, you have a lot of energy. You have very low stress. 
you're in complete control of everything. Your body's hyper responsive. I would mm-hmm. much rather drive that than drive a mock peak. And like I said, anything you get from the mock peak, I mean, dude, that body, the next round of circumstances, we, we, we don't live in this perfect world where everything's in a lab, right? We live in reality where things are constantly changing and shifting, you know, and whatever's happening. Well, what if, what if during the next peak week, you know, their stress is higher because of X, Y, and Z. What if during the next peak week, the body's just not responding to sodium and potassium the way that it was two weeks ago? Mm-hmm. What if in the next peak week, you utilize aldactone and um, the, the body just didn't flush the way that it did the first time? Like, it's all about, at the end of the day, it's all about trusting your eye. It's or, not about like these, like these are just like doing a mock peak. I feel like you'll get so fixated on the values that you sought out the first time we peaked you that you're going to lose sight of what's happening right in front of your eyes. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And I mean, then you kind of turn into paralysis by analysis and we never want to have that. Yeah. We, we never want to be just fucking stuck like frozen. Our mock peaks pretty common with coaches right now. Yeah. They're pretty common with, again, it's like the, it's like the older generation. Mm. It's very common. Um, And the younger people, man, I mean, honestly, I, I don't think they are. Mm -hmm. I don't think they are. Um, After this podcast, they won't be. (laughs) I I, I bet it's like you, I bet it's been used. Yeah. And I bet when you use it, you're kind of like, eh, it was a waste of fucking time. People who are truly skeptical of their work. Yeah. yeah, They were like, that was, I don't think I got anything out of that. So mock peaks a little weird. Something else is weird to me is a seven day peak, dude. You know how I peak my athletes. Like it is so intensive and mm-hmm. the intention to details unbelievable. Yeah. Like it is. I, I will say that shit is second to fucking none. I think it's wild that um, I know there's a, a big time bikini coach who I don't agree with really anything in his existence um, who does this. Like he makes he sets out these like peak week protocols like seven days in advance of what you're going to do every day. It's like predetermined. Yeah, it's all predetermined. Yeah, yeah. What the? What do you mean? It seems wrong. What do you mean? I like. I know other coaches who lay out like a seven day plan and they'll like get pictures every morning. They'll like adjust the plan and stuff. Like some like some people are just sending you a seven day plan and like they get pictures every morning. They're just like, all right, follow the plan. It's like right, the surgeon. The yeah, the surgeon gets a, got a heart transplant. And he's like, just follow the book. Yeah, this guy's four hundred pounds. And this guy's a, this woman. This woman is a hundred pounds of pregnant. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, same fucking thing. Like no, it's 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 vastly different. Every situation is vastly different. I don't really have problems. I, I I think it's weird when people have like seven days of peaking like laid out in advance. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, sure there's a guideline as like, long as in you're your willing. head. Not really. It's Not just, anymore. Man, the, just the way the body responds, it, it doesn't work on <clears> any. It doesn't work on anything but its own goddamn time. Sure. It works on okay. one thing, one thing only, and it's what it wants to do. Yeah. That's it. Um, but you don't have, else. you don't have like a, like, okay, we're so we're seven days out. Yeah. Right. You don't have a, a thought of going, okay. I have a direction. Obviously it could change, yeah. but I have a starting point and then we go from there. Yeah. Yeah. So seven days out, seven days out, I have an idea. Okay. Um, five days out, I have pretty good direction. Yep. Um, and three days out is when we really start making our move. Um, if diuretics are going to be needed, then, you know, we'll utilize diuretics. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you know, there is going to have to be a water cut, we'll do a water cut. If you are going to have to manipulate sodium and potassium, which, if there's diuretics involved in the water cut involved, then you will have to manipulate sodium and potassium. Um, then I, 
I have an idea. I, I have a pretty clear direction at that point. But no, once it's three days out, I mean, it's it's fucking 10 picks a day. Yeah, like yeah, it's, yeah. it's all the yeah. time. It doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of how I'm just keeping up. And especially, you know, when Duretics come into play, it's even more um, because you Duretics without Dactone, I know really well how it's going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what to expect, mm-hmm. but you want to prevent the physique from just getting muddy. You want to prevent potassium to be way higher than sodium. Remember aldactone, um, diazide, those are potassium sparing, but that does not mean that you, that doesn't just mean that you don't take in any potassium at all with it. Mm-hmm. It depends on the look, right? But when the, with these potassium sparing products, we're going to drop quite a bit of water. And if you don't know how to, refill the water that's been dropped not refill that's a poor word choice um direct if you don't know how to direct the water intake um into the muscle i'm not gonna ever say on a podcast um if you don't know how to direct that then you'll likely fuck it up um and if you don't know how to manipulate the sodium in terms of ratio with potassium intake um you know even with a potassium sparing direct you're going to fuck it up you know what i see a lot of see a lot of fucking up happening Mm -hmm. lots of bad diazide experiences i don't use diazide I don't, I don't, I, I can't say I don't use it. Um, I use diazide and so, um, four, four athletes this year. Okay. Um, out of 48 mm-hmm. did diazide. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're, you're using it less. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we used aldactone maybe 13, 14 times somewhere in there. Okay. Um, so not a, not a big diazide fan just because its effects are very, um, it's, it's difficult to, to guess what's going to happen next. So it's like, no. And I like knowing what's going to happen next. Cause if, if I'm all knowing of everything that's going on, then I have a better chance to completely and perfectly manipulate yeah. the protocols for you to be perfect and pristine come game day. Sure. Um, so I prefer Aldaxone, uh, 10 times out of 10, um, over diazide unless, unless, Mm, I don't want to share too much. <laughs> we'll move on. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't fucking feel like sharing too much, honestly. You give enough um, of an education it, system on insulin. Exactly. <laughs> like the diuretics is just the more you share, the worse it's going to get. Cause then people are going to think they know how to run them and you still oh, have no fucking idea how yeah, to run them. Okay. I mean, that, I can't even do it. You a could give, you could give good advice yeah. on the diuretics, but yeah. then someone could still fuck it up. The issue is it's like, if you hire me and you just took my protocols and you use them on your clients, like, yeah, you have my protocols, but you have no idea how the fuck I run things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's, That's true. it's probably a lose. It's probably That's not a fair. good sign uh, thing for me to just do. Um, <laughs> this one's kind of funny to me and uh men's bodybuilding um men's physique and classic physique at eight weeks out you throw turn in <laughs> it's just what you do check in eight weeks all right time to pony up some train ace now i'm not saying i never start turning eight weeks out if that's what the body needs just you know what the body needs but we just kind of arbitrarily throw trembolone in because um eight weeks out and there's no reason there's no rhyme it's just that's what people have done and uh, you know, I, I know the coaches who kind of um, laid this out there, like Milos and uh, George Farley. These are the well, George. I don't think George Farley's a good coach at all. But Milos, he's a fantastic fucking coach. Uh, Neil Hill's big on this. Um, I, I know Cito's big on this. Um, what 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 what's magic about the eight, eight week point? 
how so I prefer a buildup effect mm -hmm. of a drug mm -hmm. um, because then again, I can be in complete control of everything. So, you know, what if we started trend at 12 weeks out? What if we started trend uh, E and then theta, which is a longer esther than A's, but we started trend E at 12 weeks out and, you know, we ran it maybe 40 milligrams twice a week for a guy. 80 milligrams total a week, right? Uh, pretty, pretty low dose. But we kind of let that build up. And, um, you know, 10 weeks out, um, or what did I say, 12 weeks out? Uh, yeah, 10 weeks out, we bump up to 100 a week. And then, you know, maybe eight weeks out, we bump up to like 150 a week. And you see where I'm going? It's this mm -hmm. compounding effect. It's like saturating over time. Maybe they rather thought that than, the eight week was a saturation point that was good at the time. I don't think they have any reason for it. I just think they no. think that's where that's what you should do. Okay. Uh, because okay. well, you know, trend longer than eight weeks is going to like do X, Y, and Z. Like that's not how, it's not how drugs work. It's not how pharmacology works out. Mm -hmm. Pharmacology works out is based completely, again, on the bio-individual response of each individual. That's why I asked someone who utilizes PEDs and their clients, you need to know what the fuck to look out for. The issue is the majority of these people have no fucking clue what to look out for. So now we're on week four of trend at eight weeks out and our weekly dose is up to 150 milligrams. So mm -hmm. still not super. That's 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 I mean, that's enough trying to fucking see good results. Yeah. Um, if it's real trend. So we're at a, you know, we're at a good place. But when we were able to slow play its buildup, we were able to completely control the methylated estradiol buildup that happens alongside a trembolone, alongside a trestolone. Um, we were able to kind of mitigate that mm -hmm. through various ways. Um, but we completely have this under control rather than just shooting the gun and going 150 milligrams a week mm -hmm. right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's going to drive fucking methylated estradiol up pretty fucking high. Guess what happens when you drive methylated estradiol up really fucking high? Your body hates it. Your mm -hmm. body hates it so much. So now we're in complete control. We're at the same saturation or we're, we're, we're at the same dosage point, but a much further saturation point at this time. Well, now at week seven, guess what? We don't have to change anything because we started it five weeks ago mm. at week seven. You have to change things to reach your peak dosage, which you configure before you start the cycle. You have to change it. I don't have to change anything. That means the effects I'm putting on the body are far more easy for it to manage and handle than what you're putting on the body. Now, week six comes. I bumped to maybe 200. I bet I don't have to make another change till three weeks out, maybe two weeks out. We bump up to 250, maybe 300 if it's needed. Hmm. Um, you know, and again, those doses are very arbitrary. Sure, like, sure. Don't just fucking take that and like go start doing it. Like everyone's vastly fucking different. And honestly, majority can't fucking handle trend for a goddamn day. Real trend. And if you think that you can go above 300, you're probably a fake trend, uh, to be honest with you. So, so if you're, you said, you know, why not 12? So why not? 16. So why not 16? Just because we want to start. We, I, I don't want to start a prep with the kitchen sink. Yeah. Right. It's like we talk about the fat burning and a prep is usually going to start, you know, maybe around 20 weeks, about four months out. We're going to ease into a prep. Mm -hmm. I, I don't do the whole like this is your prep start date. Sure. Like we, okay. we ease into it one day. You're just kind of coasting and prep. So a trembolone is along the way. Mm -hmm. Well, around 12 weeks out, it's a pretty safe point. Like you've been in prep for at least one or two prep. 
you know, you, you've been gliding for one or two months. You have a show picks and you're going. You somewhere. have a show yeah. picks. You're going. You've made a lot of progress. We've exhausted a lot of items at that point. Okay. You know, you know, him being HCL, we've worked up Alcar, we've worked up GH, we've worked up thyroid might be in, a clenbuterol might be in, a DMP might be in. We have a master on coming soon before we add another drugs to help with the estradiol ratio. Um, you know, we, 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 at that point, we just have things that have already been compounded. Mm. If we just start the prep with trend and, you know, running trend very long term, I think the longest I would run, it would be around 12 weeks. Um, I think around the same with trust uh, around 12 weeks. Um, longer than that, man, the, like at some point you just kind of get tired of feeling like you're on trend, mm -hmm. uh, truly. Cause you know, it's some mood irregularities. Um, it's the methylated estradiol effect. It's, you know, one second you're so fucking hard and horny that you can like fuck the couch and the next you can, like just our limp dick. Like, dude, it's not fun. Like, it's not great. <laughs> it's not a great quality of life. Like, yeah, yeah. but I mean, that's also nature of the beast of being in a deficit, um, you know, yeah. alongside trend. Now, if you date trend in the off season, wow. The libido effects of that are great. <laughs> it's awesome, dude. Life's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm not a huge fan of running trend. The also, I, I feel like we can just make um, just as good a progress with utilizing other compounds, uh, you know, than one that you know does definitely have some downside. Okay, uh, so the trend eight weeks out just never like made much sense to me because you don't really have time to compound uh, slowly uh, and control everything the way that. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a fucking control freak, but it's part of the attention to detail. Like I just, I yeah. want my people winning. Yeah. And the more attention I pay, the you know more likely we are to win. Um, last one I want to talk about today, and then we're going to have a part two on this is drastically decreasing training intensity close to a show. This one's weird to me. Why would anybody do um, that? So I understand maybe not, you know, maxing now I understand elevating reps. I understand all those things. Now, if you're like in a really muscular division, um, if we are having stress mitigation problems, I'll pull training down to maybe 80%. Um, it's very rare that I'll, if, if we have to go under 80, I'm probably just going to make you rest. Um, mm -hmm. but we're getting really close to a show, you know, calories are really low and your body's looking for anything and everything that it can possibly use, um, to, you know, get to the point that you want it to get to, to get to the finish line. It doesn't have much energy utilizing your body wants to survive and thrive. Right. So if we stop training really hard close to a show and the only argument you have is inflammation and recovery, if we stop training really hard for the last three weeks going into a show, you will lose muscle tissue 100% because you're not applying the same stimulus on your body as you have been for the past two years. And all of a sudden you just switched up because we're close to a show and people get really nervous about, you know, injuries or stuff close to a show. Usually when injuries happen close to a show, it's a loss of focus. Mm -hmm. It's not because your body doesn't like, like your muscles are, will your muscles will respond to what you want to do. The issue is truly just a loss of focus. I like increasing reps. I like having a very similar effort up until literally like two days out from a show. Yeah. Um, I like driving effort all the way through because that's how we can control not, not losing any muscle mass. So guys, it is so fucking hard to build muscle. Are your training intensity the last two weeks heading into a show can, can cause you to drop muscle mass, lean body mass. That is so hard to build because you did not train very hard. I'm not saying you do six fucking sets 
there's six fucking reps to failure on extremely heavy load on barbell squats and stuff. I'm saying you need to have good exercise selection. You need to have great intention with all of your lifts. We should probably bump up um, target reps here, maybe add four, five reps per set. And that's kind of your target rep. Um, I'm saying that we should do the things um, you know, that that it takes to continue applying a heavily ad- adaptive stimulus on the body so that it does not lose anything so that it just it just maintains everything going in it finds other places to pull energy from and that's another item is if you allow it to start pulling energy from your amino acid stores because you're not training hard enough so the body doesn't think that it needs all those amino built up amino acid stores anymore which is your muscle tissue then it's not it's going to pull from everywhere else if you don't allow it to pull from the amino acid, it's going to pull from everywhere else. You're going to be in better shape. You're going to be better condition. So you're, I mean, that's not what you want. It seems like really, really, really simple science because it is. If you force your body to hold on to all the amino acids, it's going to find somewhere else to pull from. We have to transport some sort of free fatty acid chain, uh, carbon chain to be utilized. We have to find some sort of fucking carbon uh, glucose molecule or glycogen uh, stored uh, uh, glycogen to be utilized here. We will find something else. But at the end of a contest prep, when you're really, really, really lean, your body really wants to mobilize amino acids. So if you give it reason to, it will. If you don't give a reason to, it won't. And like truly, I think it's kind of that simple. So keep training hard, train hard all the way up till a few days out. The inflammation goes down. And honestly, for some people, inflammation is not a bad thing. It makes you more round. It makes you more bubbly. It makes you pop. So, you know, it's just like, what are you looking for? Right? Like the, your coach just needs to know what the fuck they're looking for. Could, could um, the argument be made that training hard, training hard closest to the show date could induce a little too much stress? Yeah. And I think that's kind of like where the argument lies, but also it's like, you know, <laughs> At that point, um, so it, it depends on a client's, you know, biofeedback overall, first and foremost, mm-hmm. right? Majority of times the biofeedback is good enough to keep pushing our training sessions. Also, it's a nice, you know, mental release. And also it'll make you tired so you can actually sleep. Um, but driving hard training sessions, um, it's 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 going to build up some sort of compounding effect in terms of inflammation and stress response, right? But that's why like I use the last two day rule. Mm-hmm. last today like you're probably not going to train if you do train it's just a really light pump yeah uh to drive blood so that's when you drop the percentage of effort yeah yeah that's when i would drop the percentage of efforts maybe rir four or five yeah something like that um or like i said just fucking rest like stop like stop training like fucking pussies let's do a show like train fucking hard dude train fucking hard don't train like a scared little bitch like this is bodybuilding and on a bodybuilding stage um someone's trying to kick your ass and doing everything in our power to not get our ass kicked is probably a really 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 good approach to take here um so this is part one next time we will do part two where i'm gonna talk about some more very fun items i hope you guys enjoyed i hope you guys uh maybe learned something so next time i'll see you it'll be episode 114 wow that's wild that's a lot of podcast episodes i hope you guys have learned a ton to this point i can't wait to see where the next 114 takes us i'll see you next time